Welcome to PB Link Stories. We explore the stories and uncover the business secrets of some of Britain's most successful entrepreneurs. Stuart Mason is the author of How to Wreck Your Business, a How Not to Do It book for business. It tells the story of how he built up a flourishing national chain of print shops from a scrappy market stall in Glasgow's Barras Street Market. At one point, he had it all and more. He was a millionaire with fiercely loyal, dedicated, professional, happy staff. Business was booming. Stuart travelled his business empire in his helicopter or his hand-built Aston Martin. Then one day, it all went wrong. The business crashed. The administrators were called in. Stuart lost everything. What did he do right? What did he do wrong? Now Stuart works as a business action coach, showing businesses how to achieve success without making the same mistakes he did. Stuart has been there, he's done it, and he knows what he's talking about. If he's given you business advice, it's not abstract theory, it's from lived experience. I'm Bill Mayer of PrecisionPresentation.com and I'm on a quest to learn the secret of business. In PB Link Stories, I hunt down some of Britain's most inspiring entrepreneurs to find the person behind the success. And to our listeners, if you stay with us through to the end, we're going to reveal the secret of business. Stuart, welcome to PB Link Stories. Yeah, thanks, Bill. It's, um, it's great to be here. And you mentioned people um, from success. And goodness me, you've got the failure guy on. I think you've got a lot to teach us and we've a lot to learn from you and I know that there are probably quite a few business coaches out there who perhaps have been to college or university they've got the MBA but have they actually lived the experience and can they talk from real life that's the value I think of people hearing from you. Yeah now, it's people, a very interesting point Bill we see that a lot um, business coaching from a book um, yeah. does not work so yeah valid point. Yeah. That's my point. Now, people can read your whole story in your book, How to Wreck Your Business. It covers from when you left school with no qualifications, you started your business, there's a helicopter chase, a nuclear submarine, an arson attack, there's hand-built Aston Martins, dodgy bank people, the eventual collapse of the business, and the lessons to be learned from it all. So today, we're just going to give our listeners a wee flavour of that story. The first question, Stuart, how is business? Has lockdown been a help or a hindrance to you? You know what, Bill, it's an interesting question. I mean, very much a help, actually. And uh, I'm actually quite uncomfortable saying that because I know so many businesses and I'm working with so many businesses, you know, that have struggled through um, the, the pandemic and the lockdown. But for me, certainly with the, the attitude towards home working, um, it's, uh, and Zoom working, of course, it's definitely been a help. Good, good. Well, that's uh, you, it's surprising, actually, how many businesses are reporting that after the initial shock of adapting to the new normal, they've adapted and, um, and, and they're thriving, sometimes doing better than they were before. Not obviously the hospitality trade, absolutely uh, fatal, but hopefully there's a wee light at the end of the tunnel for, for those guys, hotel, hospitality, and, and the retail that hasn't been able to open up 
Um, Stuart, starting right at the beginning of your story, your entrepreneurial spirit started young while you were still at school. You were, you, when you were at school, you were actually earning more than your parents. How did you, how did you achieve that? Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's, it's all down to the film Convoy, um, which would have been good to me. I remember that have been oh, late 70s, early 80s. Uh -huh. um, but seriously, the, you know, there was a CB radio boom of that period that hit the UK. Um, I got involved um, in that while still at school. And uh, then completely by accident, uh, a friend of a friend, I ended up buying a small hand printing press and started printing these little CB cards mm -hmm. um, that these nutters used every um, every, <laughs> every weekend. So I'm up in, up in the loft uh, evenings and weekends uh, printing these eyeball cards, as they were called. And that kind of business kind of exploded from there and uh, became a full-time occupation. Oh, yeah. So these, these are the little cards that um, CB radio enthusiasts would, would hand to each other when they actually met up in the flesh. That's right. It's, it's interesting, so we're talking about CB Radio, and here's us doing this whole interview uh, remotely and thinking <laughs> this is the cutting-edge technology, but you were actually you were actually pioneering this way back in the late 70s, early 80s. This is, Absolutely. This, so C CB be, Radio is the social media of the day. There you are, so you should be good at this. Now, <clears throat> there's your success, you're still at school, but then you left. No qualifications. You worked in various dead-end jobs, if you don't mind me saying, including in the printing industry, until at uh, 27 years old, you joined the RAF, very old to join one of the armed services, with ambitions of becoming a pilot, but you would need to be commissioned, you'd need to be an officer to become a pilot. But in the RAF, that's where you discovered you hadn't failed at school, school had failed you because you graduated Air Traffic Control College with the highest score in the history of the college. And then you went on to gain higher law, maths, and English. Uh, you joined the RAF, uh, you went through air traffic control college, you got the qualifications, and your path was set to eventually via ATC to become a commissioned officer and to become a pilot. But then you didn't, you left, uh, and uh, the ink shop was born. So what happened in the RAF to change your mind about your dream? It's interesting how, how bizarre life turns and twists and whatnot. And so there's, there's a lot in that question. So first of all, leaving school with no qualifications, but a ton of enthusiasm. Well, do you know what, Bill? It's not every parent's dream. And uh, it, it's funny. I think my mum and dad were furious, but had a sort of dry smile at the same time. Um, at that point, I had built up enough cash reserves um, to, to, to start to fly, to learn to fly. And it was one of the instructors then, you know, so I've got these dead-end jobs. I wasn't really taking the business kind of seriously. It was still always part-time. Um, and it wasn't really when I joined that, and so I started flying and... I really got to know one instructor really well. And he was a, an ex-Spitfire pilot, one of the few of the few. And, and, and he saw something in me um, in, in flying and really, really pushed me. And, you know, it was him that encouraged me to join the, the, the RAF. Right, okay. And it was interesting because at that point, 
not having those qualifications because I was so busy with entrepreneur stuff at school and leaving without any qualifications, that was going to be a tough gig. But um, he was a group captain, and I'd find a group captain, obviously, and he managed to pull some strings and get me in front of the RAF recruiters. And, and fortunately for me, they looked beyond the, the piece of paper that other people were coming in with. And you know, this is, this is my first challenge, if you like, in not just the UK, but the Western world, where we've got this obsession that intelligence has to be based in academia. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've got friends, I've got PhDs, and I'm, 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 I'll be quite honest with you, they can't wire a plug. They would struggle to check oil in the car, and they're certainly never going to go to IKEA. Um, you know, and you know what is what is intelligence, but the RAF saw something. And uh, long story short, um, wasn't long before I was actually in the RAF non-commissioned, and very quickly realised that you know I needed to go and do do something because bearing in mind I'm a pilot at this point, I'm in the wrong side of the glass, <laughs> and I re- I realised that it was going to be tough, going to be really tough, not just because of the age, but no qualifications. Um, I think I mentioned this briefly in the book as well. We, we, there was a printing club at the at the station where I was based at in Lossiemouth, and um, the the station commander and I were um, doing some some good business <laughs> through that little printing club. So I, I had some good I had some good strong people pushing me at that point, and I as you say I went on and, and got all the qualifications that I needed. Did them in one go, less than six months, no problem at all. And then unfortunately. Um, along came options for change and options for change back um, what would have been early 90s was radical changes not just in the RAF but the armed forces full stop and it was all about cutbacks, the Cold War had ended um, I don't think somebody don't told the Russians that but anyway the Cold War had ended and the, the need for such a, a strong military has been reviewed and a lot of changes, a lot of cutbacks. And I just felt it wasn't the time for me. I, I was I was on a very limited time clock as it was, and I could not afford for my progression to be halted because of changes. So I decided then to leave the RAF, and that's when the ink shop was born. Had I stayed in, yeah, I would almost certainly have commissioned and stayed in the RAF. And People always say to me, Bill, you know, would, would you recommend, you know, my son or daughter to go in to the RAF? And I would always say 100%, absolutely, definitely, but go for the commission. So I hope that answers that question. Absolutely. So we're, we're up to the beginning of your business here. You left the RAF in 1993 and you started your first print business with your DMOB money. Uh, and your first print business was in the Glasgow Barras Covered Street Market, very famous in Scotland. You put everything you had into the business and you lived in a leaking caravan with your wife and your dog. Now, here, here's the interesting bit. You had no business plan. You had no long-term strategy. You had no business training. But you disrupted the market. Business boomed. So how did the business grow from that point? If I'm honest, by accident, <laughs> okay. you know, as you as you said there, there, there was no plan in place, right? Um, 
everything up until this point had been kind of part-time and um, although there was a great drive and a lot of enthusiasm there, there had not been any real commitment to business. So there was no plan. What we did do, though, is very quickly, we did something different. What we looked at when the business started is we looked at the weaknesses of the print industry. And goodness me, that was easy to do because it was riddled with them. And we also looked at what the customer really wanted. And that also was very easy to do. And we filled that gap. And that really what was the was the founding blocks of what really, really built that business. Because we were looking at it from the customer side of the printing press. And you know, it took it took a number of years for competitors to catch up. And by that point, we'd established a fantastic business. Uh-huh. Find the weaknesses. There's a there's a there's our first bullet point for today in, in business. Fast forwarding again, 20 years on from 1993, we're in 2013. In the business bank account, you had half a million pounds. You had a, a property portfolio of all the print shops all over Scotland. I don't know if it was a one or two in England, uh, worth 1.4 million pounds. Yet the business crash. Um, the, 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 the banks withdrew your lines of credit and the administrators were called in. What went wrong? What went wrong? Goodness me, where do I start? Um, first of all, there wasn't any print centres in England. We were in the process. That was the next step. We had franchised the business, um, which uh-huh. turned out to be an unmitigated disaster. Um, but we hadn't had any um, print centres in in England, although that was the next step. So what went wrong? What went wrong? Goodness me. So it's interesting, Bill. I just got an email in um, yesterday reminding me this was was somebody who had bought the book, read the book, and um, felt compelled to send me a fantastic email um, just asking who I was because they had noticed it was the, the 15th of April. It was the anniversary. That was yesterday. Um, of the business failing. It was eight years. Um, and I thought, goodness me. So the business the business at its peak had cash in the bank, as you say, with half a million of liquid cash in the bank at its peak. And that was some years before the crash. Okay. Um, and this is what I refer to. Um, and I hammer this home with clients all the time, what I refer to as success hiding mistakes. Okay. So so think of my business, you know, think of the cash, if you like, as a as a 20 litre bucket. So I've got a big 20 litre bucket, but it's got holes in the bottom of it. Okay. So that's my business. 20 litre bucket has got holes in it. Now, when you're pouring in 30 litres, in other words, you've got loads of work coming in and more customers you can handle, and the business is flying, that's your 30 litres of water getting poured in to your 20 litre bucket. So it's overflowing. Now you know your feet are wet but you think it's just because the bucket's overflowing, right? Uh What you don't actually see is the holes. Now, then the business slows down, right? Competitors catch up. And in our case, some of competitors actually got better. Then the recession hit, 2008 financial meltdown. And all of a sudden, there's only five litres of water getting poured in and the bucket empties pretty damn quick. So... What I'm going to cover, I've got a workshop on the 18th of May. That'll be a one-off, and we've called it How to Wreck Your Business Uncensored. Because you mentioned about the banks. So what we're going to cover in the How to Wreck Your Business Uncensored is a lot of good stuff that's not in the book. 
a lot of the stuff that we did right, because in the early days, there was obviously a lot more right than there was wrong. So we're going to cover all that and really hammer home on a lot of the, the stuff that business should, businesses should be doing. But I'm also going to cover, I think, a little bit about the, how the banks behave, because the thing is that business could have been saved. Now, I always will and always have taken ownership of it. I put the business in harm's way. You can't go and bleat and moan um, that the business failed and it's your fault, it's their fault, it's his fault, it's, 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 it's my fault, right? I put the business in harm's way. However, the way the banks handled it was just disgraceful because the, the, when the business failed, it was back in the black for the first time in six quarters. We had six quarters of consecutive losses. Um, and, you know, the first couple of quarters were big losses, right? So the curve was starting to flatten and we were back in the black. And even when the banks appointed administrators, they turned around to me in their exact words where the second day they were in that building, what the hell are we doing here? Mm-hmm. But I refused to prepack it and I refused to phoenix it. I just was not going to do that. A, I think it's morally wrong. And B, I was just done. I was broken. So what went wrong? Well, the bank had enough in their greedy hands to walk away clear. Indeed, they ended up having to pay a dividend. So we had actually created wealth. We, well, forget me, it's not we, it's me. We never protected it. And that was just down to bad, bad advice. But it was a national disgrace the way the banks behaved during the financial crisis, you know, 2008, 10, 11, 12, and they get away with it. Absolutely get away with it. And the banking industry, in, in my opinion, deserves everything that virtual and online banking and crypto is going to give it. Um, it was a it was a real, real tough, tough time. You know, looking at a banking organization, and I do mention this in the book, you know what, what organization, what does it have to do to drive a senior partner, our manager, a true gent in banking to actually take their own life? Mm-hmm. I mean that was that was a dark dark day. So, th- so, so this was anyway. the, this was the, the the bank manager that you'd been working with all the years with your um with your bank accounts your business bank accounts it, and it, then it, he it, was, he was so distressed at the treatment that your business got from the banks and he he was forced to be the tool of the destruction of your business that he then he took his own life. Well, we don't know, Bill. This 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 is the really right. really disappointing thing because it was some months after. The business had actually failed and that I wasn't involved with it because right. obviously the administrators had taken over. So I have no idea what led up to that horrible moment. Um, right. I just you know, hope to this day that, um, that the business failing was not a part of it. But I just don't know, um, sure, nor sure. never will know, because that's obviously been gagged. Um, but it was, I mean, you know, after the business had failed, you know, you think that's a dark, a dark moment. But goodness me, when you find out things like that, it's a lot darker, let me tell you. Absolutely. You mentioned, I just want to clarify, you mentioned, Stuart, that you refused to phoenix your business and repackage it. So this is when you you declare bankrupt and then on the Friday, for example, and then the same business starts up again on the Monday with the same equipment and so forth, but no debts, no liabilities and starts trading. But the problem is that all the people that you've owed money to, they don't get a penny. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? You, you've 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 absolutely nailed it. Um, it. It's not it's not bankruptcy. That's that's something completely different. But okay. yes, in, in essence, hundred percent. So what had been happening, Bill? Just because it's a very very important point, actually. What had been happening in the print industry prior to us failing 
was there had been a number of um, businesses um, and some particular high-profile ones as well that had also failed because the print industry was in turmoil at this point and they had done a, a Phoenix or a pre-pack um, and exactly that, gone bust on the Friday, opened back up on the on the Monday with a slight name change, same premises, same customers, um, no debt, right? And I was very, very vocal on the pages of Print Week um, that this was happening. And, you know, a lot of suppliers were actually supporting these businesses because they took the view, well, you know, we've, we've taken a loss, we need to get the money back somewhere. But think how how much of an advantage, you know, that, that puts them at. If you, if you can ditch your business with no debt, start up again and continue as normal, it puts you in a very, very favourable position. And when the, when the administrators came in, the first question, they sat down at the desk and the very, very first question they said to me was, Prepack or Phoenix? I went, neither. I said, you need to go look at Print Week to see how vocal I've been on. It's just not going to happen. Sure. And I absolutely point blank refused. Now, do you know what? You're looking back on it, you know, that was maybe a, a moment of, of madness because I could have saved the business, maybe I could have saved the jobs, etc. But do you know what, Bill? I might have walked out of that with absolutely nothing. You know, I mean, we lost everything, right? Absolutely bloody everything, except one thing. I managed to retain one thing, and it was bloody dignity. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I walked out the door for the last time, no car, no bikes, no helicopter, no house, no money, but at least I was able to help, you know, hold my head high. And I phoned every single supplier in person, mm -hmm. apologised um, for the, the, the situation they've been put in. And I still to this day think that was the right thing to do. Sure, sure. Fair enough. And the thing is, of course, as you say, I, I guess you, you might have saved your business, but then by... Uh, re-emerging on the Monday uh, as a Phoenix business with an unfair advantage over your competitors, then I guess you could have put other print businesses uh, out of business. And yeah, yeah. so that it, it's kind of like, it sounds to me like a no-win scenario um, over and above your dignity and your integrity, you know? Absolutely. Um, but also, it's worth considering as well, if there's, if there's fundamental issues, and you see this with a lot of these business reincarnations, if the business is flawed, and it led to a failure in the first place. And, you know, the, the debt's only ditched. It's only a 60 or a 90-day honeymoon, then it's, it's back to the status quo again, and ultimately right. these businesses fail again. Yep, yep, good point. Um, so I've read you. I've got an unfair advantage myself. I've read your book. Um, it's very interesting. And I know that you make a very strong point in it that the failure of the business was down to lack of planning. Uh, and, you, you know, you spoke about the, the bucket with the holes in it. And that's what you're referring to. You hadn't planned ahead. Uh, there were some other uh, mistakes as well, but essentially down to planning, planning ahead and not just living in the moment. So I find it, and here's my question, do you find it ironic that you excelled at air traffic control? So I'm imagining an air traffic controller, you've really got to be thinking beyond the next five minutes and you've got to be visualising every possible scenario. If you've got 20, 30 aircraft circling, waiting to land, other ones going to take off, you've really got to be on the ball, planning ahead and not daydreaming or doodling and certainly not just living for the moment. Uh, so you have the skills, you've proved it. Um, but you didn't apply them to your business. Do you find that ironic at all, Stuart? <laughs> do 
Yeah, you know what? I, I never really thought about it too much action until you mentioned it. But yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, although air traffic, um, from a controller's point of view, is maybe not so much about planning. We don't really do much planning. But what we do, um, and this is equally important, if not more important business, is we follow a system. And we wow. follow a system to the absolute letter. Um, so that, you know, regardless of what side of the glass you're on, um, you know exactly what's happening as well. So air traffic is more about systemized procedure, but definitely sure. planning as well, obviously, from the from the the, the supervisors. So yeah. in, indeed, but you know what you're referring to um in flying in air traffic is is what we call spatial awareness. Um and it's an interesting skill that I've always had um been able to to build and indeed see in my head a complete multi-three-dimensional image. You know, so I, I could sit down at a, a, a flat radar screen, which would confuse the hell out of most people, and I could build up a complete three-dimensional, you know, even the pictures, the jets in my head and what levels were at and who was descending, who was turning. Um, and it's, it's not easy to do, so that's called spatial awareness. Uh -huh. But I do, I do wonder if that's maybe perhaps the reason why I didn't see the need for plans, because I thought wrongly within myself that I could have a plan in my head, it's but it just doesn't work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It we hear this work. from entrepreneurs as we, well. I mean, and this is kind of standard uh, good business book advice that, uh, you know, the, the business succession planning, if you're the man or the woman who has the whole plan in your head and something happens to you, what happens to the business? And so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, There's yeah, something yeah, else to consider thinking. bill as well. We're having the plan in your head, right? And it's, it's down to the emotions you go through as a business owner, right? Because, you know, let me be honest, you're going to have days where you're on top of the world and you want to take on the world. And I had plenty of them, you know, going down to exhibitions to buy a small fold machine and ended up buying a brand new printing press, you know, mm -hmm. because you're in, you're, in a, you're in a roller coaster. So you've got the emotional highs, but you've also got the whole crushing lows. You've got the days where you just want to chuck it, right? And if your plan's in your head not written down, then there's no control. There's, there's nothing to, to bring that enthusiasm down and challenge it, but there's nothing to bring you up when you're at a whole crushing low as well. And the plan, a good plan put in place, flattens that curve. You don't have these, these emotional roller coasters anymore. And that's really where, where I started to go wrong, is not having that plan in place. <laughs> I understand, I understand. Stuart, we're going to have to wrap up. We're running out of time here. Um, but at my final question to you, the question that we ask everyone on PB Link Stories, what is the secret of business? Oh, what is the secret of business? Well, my secret of business is to love what you do and do what you love. Okay, love love what you do and do what you love, because then, then, it's, then it's not work. And you know what, Bill, we're on this planet for a good time, not a long time. So don't waste any of that time trapped in a job or a business that you hate. So that's my secret of business. Fair enough. Now, you mentioned this workshop on the 18th of May. Um, I think people can track you down online at hereshowto.co.uk. Is that the best way to pe for people to find you? Uh, yes. Um, the email address is Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T, Stuart at hereshowto.co.uk. Um, it's on Eventbrite as well. Um, and as I say, it's just a couple of a couple of clients and uh, people I know have said, yeah, we should we should maybe do another event. So it's a one-off. It's the 18th of May. Um, and um, it'll not be boring. <laughs> I'll just I, say I, that. 
I very much doubt it will. I very much doubt it will. Fantastic, Stuart. Thank you very much. That's us for today. I wish you had more time. There's a lot more I could ask you. Uh, but thank you for giving us your time, sharing your inspiration, your tips, uh, your lived experience. And to our listeners, be sure to subscribe to PB Link Stories as we hunt down inspiring entrepreneurs to discover the secret of business. Join us at our next event and engage with the business community.